Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. Today our guest is Nancy Light. Nancy has a Bachelor of Science in Nursing. She is a registered nurse, and she has a master's degree in professional studies. Nancy has worked in the healthcare field for over 45 years. She was the chief nursing officer for Krauss Hospital in Syracuse, New York, until joining Francis House as the resident care coordinator. Nancy served as chief operating officer and then as executive director until her retirement in December of 2020. During her tenure, she mentored many individuals, and developing homes in the area of the social model of hospice care. Nancy serves on the professional advisory committees for Nascentia Healthcare and Hospice of Central New York, as well as volunteering for Francis House. Good afternoon, and thanks so much, Nancy, for joining us today. Thank you, Kathy, for having me. I'm glad to be here. Our pleasure. Our topic for today is caregiver's grief. But before we go too far, would you give our listeners just a little bit of your background, Nancy? I will. Um, I have been a nurse for, I hate to say it, 45 plus years, um, spending about half of my career in acute care and the last 23 years uh, working at Francis House, which is a home for people who are terminally ill in Syracuse. I went there at the beginning of my time as the nurse, the resident care coordinator, and was doing a lot of hands-on care. And then eventually, as I, uh, when I left there in December, I retired, I left as the executive director. So the last 23 years have been spent working with people who are at end of life and their families. All right. And comfort care homes, which are quite uh, prominent in New York State, I just want our listeners to know that that's really the equivalent of a hospice home. Um, where they follow a lot of the hospice philosophy, correct? It, it is. It's what we call a social model hospice home. So it's a hospice with a small H. The end of life care is given by a staff and volunteers. Um, people come there when they are at a point where their families can no longer provide the level of care they require, or they don't have a family. They have no one who's able to do that for them. So yes, we are providing care in that model. All right. And just a side note for our listeners, we are blessed in New York State at least to have the comfort care homes because they do not charge the families any fees for caring for their loved ones and for all of the time that the family members can spend there with them as well. There is no fee charged and they do not seek reimbursement from health insurance companies. This is a gift. It's a gift to the community supported by donations and fundraisers and various events like that. For me, when I finally found that out, I was blown away at, because to me, this is like the Disney world of, of healthcare uh, to do a service that costs nothing. So at any rate, I could promote comfort care homes all afternoon. <laughs> it's a passion of mine. But back to caregiver's grief. Now for me, there really are a few different varieties of caregivers. For example, as my husband battled a glioblastoma, which is an aggressive brain tumor cancer, 
I was his caregiver. For eight months, my life changed bit by bit, in minutes, in hours. My routine changed without really me even being aware as I focused on his care. And pretty soon, that's all I was doing was caring for him, interacting with doctors and medical staff, making decisions. So some caregivers, like me, might be a spouse or a close family member that takes on that role. Then at times, of course, there are nurses or aides, primarily aides, that do the hands-on care. And they usually are compensated for that service, whether it's in a nursing home um, or other type of community, and even privately in the home. Sometimes aides will be brought in for caregivers. The third category, and the one closest to my heart, are the myriad of volunteer caregivers, many in hospice, who provide compassionate hands-on care as a service to someone and to their communities voluntarily. No compensation other than the personal reward that they receive themselves for doing the service. Many of these, of course, are hospice volunteers who do this out of love. So despite all these differences, though, grief is grief. So Nancy, please give us some insight into caregivers' grief, particularly these hospice or the volunteer caregivers. Why, for example, do they grieve when they aren't related to the patient and likely had never even met them before care began? Right. So I, at Francis House, and that's been my experience, um, we have both hospice volunteers, we have Francis House volunteers, and we also have caregivers who are paid staff. And in our model of care, everyone contributes to try to make those last days and weeks the best they can be for the person that we're caring for. And I think when you're talking about grief, and you said grief is grief, and you are correct, Kathy, when you're a spouse or a family member caring for your loved one at home, you go through several kinds of grief, anticipatory grief, just knowing that the end is coming, right? And then you're so focused on giving care, you kind of push that aside. And then when the person finally dies, you have that hole in your heart, that piece of you that is always going to be gone, that piece that's missing. And over time, you mourn, you um, are able to see those jagged edges of that hole get a little softer, but it never really goes away. When you're working in a hospice home setting or a, a, a caregiver, a volunteer caregiver, um, even a paid caregiver in that setting where you are part of a home, you experience grief in a different way. You're called to do that work because you're compassionate. To me, it's not, it was never a job at Francis House. I went there and knew from day one that that's where I needed to be. Just the fact that I was helping someone who was so desperate in need at the end of life and their families. So it's really a calling. And I think that's why volunteers come and do what they do. They're compassionate by nature. And if you look at the definition of compassion, it means to suffer with. So it's, it's more than sympathy. Sympathy, I'm so sorry. Empathy, I haven't got any words to even explain how I feel about how, how you're doing right now. It goes beyond that to almost a call to action to do something to relieve that suffering. 
And I think the people who come into this work as volunteers come into it because they want to give. They want to give back. And I think they grieve because they give emotionally, they give physically, they give spiritually to the people that they are caring for. And they see death again and again. You know, I think when you're a volunteer, it's it's intermittent. But my my experience at Francis House would be a volunteer who was, say, cleaning. They would come in and talk with the, the resident, talk with their family, comment on the family pictures. Oh, my gosh, you love the Yankees. Oh, so do I. And have this conversation, which was wonderful for everyone involved. But they would come back the next week and that room would be empty. And they would see the name of the person on the bed because we we do that to honor the person who was there. But to to realize that, oh, my gosh, they're gone. Now, it's not the same grief as a loved one because they didn't have that personal connection. But time and time again, those losses build up. And there's a there's a quote that I use from Aeschylus, um, uh, the Greek philosopher, and it's part of it says, and even in our sleep, pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart. So I think every time, every time a person gets exposed to another human being at that level and then realizes that they are gone, a piece of them has to be affected. There's a, a, a writer, Dr. Rachel Remen, who uh, writes about caregivers and uh, especially in the nursing profession and so forth. And she's and she says, and I think it's it's so true. She says, and I'll quote her. The expectation that we can be immersed in suffering and loss daily and not be touched by it is as unrealistic as expecting to be able to walk through water and not get wet. So so I think that's that to that to me, from my experience, is why anyone working in this field, um, especially in the volunteer area, that's that's why they grieve, even though they don't necessarily know that person for a very long time. It's that intense knowledge of that individual at the near the end of their life that that brings that on. That that's that's been my experience. That's beautiful, and it's an excellent description of it really perspectives and thoughts that I had not even considered. And those two quotes are wonderful and I'm going to be writing them down later myself. I find a collect <laughs> quotes, but, but those are beautiful. So does their grief then dissipate more quickly? Is it easier for them to simply say their goodbye, so to speak, and move to the next terminally ill patient? I, I don't think so. I don't think it happens like that. I think because of the the nature of how we are in, in our settings exposed to this grief and loss. Um, I think it bit by bit accumulates. So it doesn't ever really go away, but there's always the next person who's looking to us. So for instance, at Francis house, when a resident dies, we do not immediately fill that empty bedroom. We, leave it for several days with the person's name, their room sign on the bed as a remembrance that they were there because they, well, they're a family. They, 
it, they're part of us and you want everyone who had the opportunity to care for them to go by the room and remember and they do remember and i think it helps with the process of grieving but it doesn't necessarily help you get over it because we we have so many people needing to come into our home all the comfort care homes are the same way that you must address that person who's living you have to they're the ones who are in need so you put us you put aside that that grief because you have to get back to work so you don't get over it but you put it aside because you have other people who are depending on you what can happen sometimes when when caregivers do that over and over again is what we call the boiling frog phenomenon boiling frog boiling frog and what that means is think of this you have a frog and you put him in a pot of water and it's just a very warm pot of water and he's just floating and feeling wonderful you turn up the heat a little bit and he adjusts and he floats and he's still okay you do that a few more times turn up the heat he adjusts turn up the heat then eventually he goes wait a minute this is really hot but at that point he's too weak to get out of it oh. and i think and i think that's what may happen with some of our caregivers and we call that compassion fatigue they don't even know it's happening to them oh my goodness yeah but it's it's grief that over and over again you put aside put aside the loss until you come to a place where you don't have any resource anymore and in in the worst cases and i have seen not many of these but in the worst cases it can really devolve into physical symptoms you know people they don't feel good they have aches and pains and they're just they're just not themselves they get short tempered with family members they can't sleep they're not eating or they eat too much um they have behavioral issues that they would not ordinarily have and it's not that that there's anything wrong other than the fact that they have put aside this exposure to suffering this right. feeling of grief they've not addressed it and now they're being affected um by that directly and you know that is a very real possibility when we're um working with folks who are at end of life there's just Certainly. so much demand so the grief does not dissipate quickly and no. it's not even for them it's not even for them acceptance although they may be better than some others at accepting it that probably goes varies by person but it's just that the need the necessity to move on and right. that really in some ways compares to what i perceive as what i went through in it all grief is normal so i don't want to use that word but in what we understand to be a more normal type of grief is that you might have kids for example so you can't really deal with your grief at that moment that you might need to so you move on and you do what's necessary and what you're required to do and what you must do um but i i guess i had not ever put that concept with the volunteer caregivers so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just you know i'm going to have to apologize to all of them that i run <laughs> well you know Kathy i don't I don't think everyone reaches the level of compassion fatigue but I think it's a real possibility and it's something we all need to be aware of. 
You know, exactly. we can, just as you said, you put things aside because you have other obligations. But at some point in time, if you don't recharge your own batteries, if you don't step back and, and take a look and take a breath, there's real danger that you're doing yourself harm. Okay. All right. And I'm going to circle back to that thought in a minute. So we talk about compassion and we talk about, you know, a lot of people just have this in their heart. But what is there about these people that gives them this passion or this need to be a caregiver? Um, and I know a lot of people will hear what, a hospice volunteer does and they'll say, oh, I could never do that. I could never do that. What, what is that part of the personality? What is there about that person? Is it because of an experience they've had, perhaps? Is it, is it because maybe they've experienced the loss of a loved one? I know not everyone has, perhaps, but right. what is their, what personality trait is it that makes somebody feel this way? Well, from my experience, and that's that's where I'll speak from, the volunteers who come to Francis House, um, many of them have experienced a loss. Um, many of them had uh, a loved one in the hospice program or experienced a loss at Francis House um, or another uh, uh, place, and they want to try to do something to help others through their experience. Um, but I think it's 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 really like any profession or any um, ministry or calling that you want to uh, name. I know for myself, I could never work in pediatrics. Now, I'm a nurse. I could technically do all that work. But my pediatric experience was such that when I had to do a procedure on an infant and could not explain to that child why I was having to do this. And all I knew was they were going to be uncomfortable. I thought, I can't do that. I don't have it in my heart to do that. So I was drawn, though, to caring for people at end of life. So I think that everyone has that part of them that says, I want to do something. We, we have quite a few of our volunteers who are retired teachers and social workers. So people who are in those kinds of profession, nurses, um, they seem to want to be able to share themselves. And they've shared themselves their whole lives in different ways, you know. And now they want to be able, they have that sharing piece about them. They want to be able to help other people. They've helped kids. They've helped adults. They've always been helpers. And now they want to help in this regard as well. And they're compassionate, as you said. They have big, huge, compassionate hearts. Yeah. And I know um, for myself, although, again, before I encountered the comfort care homes, I hadn't really thought about it. But these caregivers, we always think about them providing care to the terminally ill person or the patient. Mm -hmm. But they often provide just as much loving care for the family. Uh, and sometimes I would imagine that there are some newfound friendships that result from that. Have you experienced anything like this? Oh, we, we have. You know, I think as I look at my career, um, I often would say I believe I care more for families 
than I do for our residents. The residents I knew were getting the right care. They were getting all the things that they required. But families were, they, many of them would just struggle because even if they had had a loss before, no loss is ever the same. The right. relationships are different. So I would spend hours talking with a family member. Our volunteers would sit down with a cup of coffee and a chocolate chip cookie with a family member while a loved one was having physical care and just say, tell me how your day is going. How's, you know, how, how are things today? Just to give that, that hospitality, that respite, that feeling of family. So you're exactly right. That, that is, especially in our comfort care homes, that goes on all the time. Right. And I, and I know it's very, very welcome to some of the family members. You can visibly see them begin to relax. Even if it's only for a few moments, they just right. kind of relax because they're not on at that moment. They can just kind of catch a breath. Well, in many times, like your situation, family members have been the caregiver. That's so right. they, ha they have been nonstop That's right. and worried about everything. And now they can really take a breath yes. and just be family. Yes. Which is yes. so critical. Yes, absolutely. And definitely. So if you happen to be a member of a team of volunteers, or you happen to be a team leader, or an employer, or even a family who's had a single caregiver or a couple of caregivers that have been there day after day for a longer period of time, what can we do to support these caregivers? to help them so that maybe they can not get to the point where they're that frog in boiling water all of a sudden. What can we do to help them or support them? Well, I, I think that to, first of all, recognize that that's a possibility. They may not be the frog, but they're in a situation where they could become that frog. So to recognize that as the possibility and have, I think, just a safe place for discussion or communication. And it doesn't mean that um, you have to talk. It just means you need to listen. So anyone can be a good listener. And if someone's had a particularly bad day or the loss of a particular um, patient or resident has really affected them for whatever the reason, it could be anything. It triggered a memory from the past. It could be anything. Offer a time to just say, you know, tell me about what happened today. Let me, you know, just tell me how you feel. Just, just, we're not going to solve anything, but let me, I will hear you. I will sit and I will hear you. And provide that empathy that says, I can't run into fix it mode, but I can listen. And I think it's important too, like at Francis House, we offer, and including our volunteers, we offer Reiki. We have volunteers who do Reiki, who do yoga, who do um, uh, healing touch and meditation. And we will offer those sessions to caregivers, to volunteers, caregivers mm -hmm. as well, just to give, you know, five or 10 or 15 minutes of just respite, you know, just some, just some time away. And, and then I think as family is concerned and, and employers too, try to find something fun, celebrate, celebrate successes, celebrate fun, celebrate birthdays, do something that brings a smile and makes people laugh because the endorphins go out the window when you're laughing. I mean, you know, you, really, you need a good laugh. So I, I think simple things we, we can just do that are not costly 
um, but that really provide that level of support and help that someone who is day to day giving in that um, stressful, really stressful situation gives them a chance to just take a breath and recoup a little bit and recharge. Those are great ideas. And I love, I love the humor part of it too. That's humor has always rescued me many times mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and, and helped me kind of regroup. Yeah. Yeah. So, so from the other perspective, can you think of any tips maybe from your own personal experience again, things you can do for yourself if you're a caregiver, things you can do for yourself maybe that will kind of give you a little breather, maybe keep you from getting to that point. I, you know, I think something even like give yourself a spa day or go get a pedicure sometimes can even help. But are there other things you can think of maybe that, that caregivers themselves can do? You know, I think there are some very simple things that you can do for yourself and make it a part of your daily routine, not just when you've had a bad day, but make it a part of your daily routine. A spa day is a great idea and everyone should do that. But if you just take a walk every day, even if it's five minutes, get outside and it doesn't matter what the weather is, even if it's cold, bundle up, walk to your mailbox, walk to the end of your street and walk back. Take some deep breaths and just move. Just take a walk. And I think when you're taking a walk, be aware of what's around you. Look up because very often the sky is filled with color and clouds and, and birds. And when I walk in the morning around where I am right now, um, we have lots of green. And I always notice the different colors of green. It isn't just green. It's all these shades of green. And you put that against a backdrop of blue sky and white clouds, and it's, it's phenomenal. And if it's raining and you're outside, listen, listen, listen to the raindrops. Pay attention. And what that does is it helps you be mindful and it helps you focus. And if you develop this mindfulness approach, it can help you de-stress. You take a breath now before you jump into a situation or react. It can be very, very helpful. And the other thing that's very simple to do is either morning, night, whatever time is convenient, take a minute or two and just think of two things that you're grateful for for that day. Right. And, and maybe it's the fact I could take a walk today. Maybe it's the fact my part, my puppy didn't go crazy during the last thunderstorm. <laughs> Find something that you are grateful for, because when you end your day in a, in a feeling of gratitude, it helps to just relax and de-stress and helps you sleep better. You know, so those are just little, I mean, there are a lot of things you can do. And there are probably, if you go online, people go online, they can find uh, tips for de-stressing, tips for, um, you know, trying to improve how you're feeling. There's all kinds of um, uh, websites that do that. But those are very simple and can be done daily. And if they're done daily, I think they develop a real, um, it helps you develop an attitude of being able to uh, uh, cope a little bit better. Okay. And because we have so many of our listeners, too, that I know are avid readers, are there any books you can think of? I know you mentioned an author a little bit ago, or even a film, maybe, that might help them um, at least gain some insight onto this entire 
topic of caregiver's grief? Well, I, I'm going to give you three references. Um, okay. One, two of them are by um, Robert Wicks, W-I-C-K-S. Robert Wicks is a PhD psychologist, and he's uh, spent his career working with people who are in high stress situations, particularly um, people in caregiving situations. So whether they're physicians or nurses or um, volunteers, um, humanitarian aid workers, um, he's been all over the world. And he's written a number of books, but two that I would recommend are one called Perspective, it's called The Calm Before the Storm. And that really um, speaks to the topic we're talking about today. Okay. And the other one is Bounce, B-O-U-N-C-E. And it it's, uh, talks about resilience. Oh. And, I, and I think that's, um, that's also a good book. The other book that I would recommend is by Joyce Rupp, R-U-P-P. And you can get all of these on Amazon. Um, it is called Boundless Compassion. And it can be a single read for an individual, or it can be an excellent book for group discussion. And we use this book at Francis House. We invited um, volunteers, caregivers, administrators, anyone who was interested to various um, uh, days. We said it's like the, the sessions were an hour long and we had them throughout the year. And so we had a mixed group of individuals and each week we would read a chapter and then come together and discuss the chapter. And it really helps, it helped me to recognize compassion in my whole life, not just in my caregiving life. And I found it to be very, very um, helpful. It, it was just a lovely, lovely book. And it's so nice to be it's something employers could do um, for their, is, is set up a, you know, an after work, you know, group session. Yeah. And have it facilitated. And it's, it was very simple. It's a great read and it really helps you get to the core, I think, of who you are and helps you just to develop that, that boundless compassion that we all, um, right. that we all need. Yeah. Well, Nancy, sadly, our time grows short for today. This has been a great discussion. Before we go, though, and before we sign off and wrap up, I want to give you a moment just to talk freely to our listeners without me leading you with questions. And just from your heart, what do you want everyone to know? Thank you, Kathy. I, first of all, I would put out a call for volunteers for all of our comfort care homes. New York State has more comfort care homes than any other state in the country. They're, they are developing nationwide, and our um, national network, Omega Home Network, has now 77 members, and that's just a small portion of all the comfort care homes there are. But we cannot function without volunteers. And the pandemic put us in a terrible position, as you all know. So we were not able to have you in our homes and it has been severely missed. And I can tell you what you bring is new energy every time you walk in the door. And that new energy is so critical for the people who are there, both residents, their families, and for our caregivers. So I would put out a call for you if you have any kind of feeling that you would like to do this work, please look up your local comfort care home and call them about volunteering. And then lastly, I'm going to read something to you that I always read to our volunteers when we have a volunteer orientation session. And it's out of the 
Writings of St. Francis of Assisi. And it goes like this. It says, as you go, keep a clear eye toward life's end. Do not forget your purpose and destiny. And remember, what you are in God's sight is what you are and nothing more. Do not let worldly cares and anxieties obscure the divine life within you. If you open yourself to God and God's plan is printed in your heart, God will open to you. Remember that when you leave this earth, you take with you nothing that you have received, only what you have given, a full heart enriched by honesty, love, sacrifice, and courage. And I think that so expresses what our volunteers do. So I wanted to share that. Beautiful words. Thank you so much. Again, Nancy, thank you so much for being here today. I think it was a great discussion. For our listeners out there, if you have any questions, we will have Nancy's contact information or the information to contact Omega Home Network. Or you can even email Stephanie or myself and we will answer your questions or get answers for you. If you're looking for a local comfort care home and don't know where to start, let us know and we'll try to help you find one. But I would certainly, um, certainly emphasize the call for action for volunteers because they are sorely needed. And I know personally from my personal experience that they are so, so valued and appreciated. So until next week, listeners, thanks for being here today. Remember, self-care, take care of yourselves as we all continue to live in grief. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening with us today. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to cover or do you have a question from one of our episodes? Please email us at info at asiliveandgrieve.com and let us know. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.